0: The word of God, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through
1: Jesus Christ, the word of the Lord.
0: Amen, you guys can be seated.
1: My, oh my, Whew. Uh I do want to dismiss just our kindergarten through first graders, second through fifth. You are in here with us today. Let's go. Let's go. Are y'all excited guys? Man, I guess I've got eight minutes. I gotta go, I guess. Huh? I can't just like, like Peter around and do all my nice stuff I normally do. So let's just get to it. Um I love, man, how about that band today? Golly. Yeah. You know, it's one of those, uh, this summer just started and you kind of like, oh, lackadaisical. And then you're reminded of the beauty of the gospel. Yeah. That like we were far away and God came near and brought us in and adopted us into a family through our veins. Golly. And I get to preach, sorry, Luke. Um, for eight minutes apparently, First uh, Peter 2. I love uh, the words and what Peter does here because it reminds me of something that happens in all of our lives. You ever have those days, um, I never have these days where you wake up, Weigh a thousand pounds, and the bags under my eyes are the size of my ears now. And it's just like, and then you get to work, and someone says, Have you lost weight? You look really good, and you have it kind of like lifts your spirits, right? Like you, you were here in this encouraging word, and like you're lifted. This might be better. So, like, uh, parents of toddlers, um, you will make it. Um, and there's It's always a brilliant idea. Like you go to Posadas. Man, uh Birkin's Posadas, R.I.P., that's kind of sad. Um, sorry. <laughs> I got eight minutes, Scotty. Um <laughs> so we're so you're at this restaurant with your kids and um the, the mac and cheese comes out and it's the wrong kind of mac and cheese. And your kid is losing their mind, hey Joseph. And the other kid is literally crawling under the booth and he's bothering everybody there. And you just wanna die as you pay $60, correct? And you're like, why am I a parent? I am awful. And then that couple in their 70s walks by and they say, you have beautiful kids, enjoy this gift. And it it changes your perspective, right? It's like, oh, that's right or even this week, woke up one day this week and like a a list a mile long, meetings a mile long, and I am not the man for the job. You're like, "Ah, God, you picked the wrong person. I cannot do this today. And I get a text at six in the morning from a former member of our church of me holding their baby many hairs ago and, and says, thank you for loving our family so well for so long. And my heart shifted because I was called up." And you see Peter doing the same thing right here. Remember this, he's writing to, to Jewish people who were exiled. Like they were kicked out, they, were, they had to flee and they're in this foreign land and, and they got to feel forgotten They've got to feel beat down. They've got to feel left out. They've got to feel less than. And then they get the words of Peter, the apostle who had been with Jesus. He was the rock who's gonna, Christ was gonna build his church. They get this letter, they're reading these letters and they see this phrase. They say, you're being built up. You might feel messed up right now, but God is building you into a spiritual house in a spiritual house, they would know this language. It's a place where God dwells. In the Old Testament, God dwelt in the temple in Jerusalem. But now in the New Testament, in the, in the new covenant, this new revelation post the resurrection of Jesus, now God dwells in the church. He dwells in the people. This is because the church is the body of Christ and Christ is the living temple of God. And they are a spiritual House. Imagine getting these words. They're like, God, where are you? Why is this happening? And Peter says, No, don't forget, God is doing something beautiful, making it to a spiritual house where the literal presence of God lives. And this, friends, hit this day church, we are a spiritual house. It's a beautiful thing this is what makes the church different than just some good nonprofit. See, the church carries with it. And we felt it when we sang just now, didn't you? When we declared the truth of why we're family, what we sensed was what? The presence of God. Because the body of Christ, the spiritual family, the spiritual house is something different. It carries the presence of God. Listen, when we gather friends, it's not just a meeting. When we pray, we're not just saying words. When we serve others, it's not just a good deed. There is this supernatural thing that is happening in the spiritual house. In essence, the spiritual house is another way of saying that we're a spiritual family, that we're all children of God. We're brothers and we are sisters. And today we're gonna hear testimonies of other brothers and sisters in the faith. A spiritual family, what what makes us, what builds up this beautiful house. Look at his language here in verse five. You yourselves like living stones. Living stones. He calls these people living stones. After he described Jesus as the living stone. And and, and as you think about this phrase, a living stone. And if you profess faith in Jesus, then you are a living stone being built up with us this beautiful mosaic called the spiritual household. It means you have abundant life. It means you have great joy. And here this church, it means you have great purpose that we're given eternal, abundant life for a reason, that the church of Jesus Christ should be the most joyful, excited, purposeful people in the world. We are full of life, but we're also a stone. Have you tried moving a big stone before? You can't do it. It's steadfast, it's immovable, it perseveres through all kinds of things. And this is how Peter describes these exiles. And this for us today is how we are described by God himself. No longer slaves of fear, right? Living stones that are children of God. This is who we are. It's what makes us a spiritual family. It's what makes us beautiful. And here's the beautiful thing. A living stone, there's all kinds of stones with all kinds of gifts, with all kinds of stories. And here is the task for you, the church today, is how are you gonna live? What is God doing? Where are the passions God has given you? What are the things that breaks your hearts? What are the gifts, the strengths, the talents that God has specifically given you to be a living, immovable presence in a dark world? But if we're honest, living stone, do we? we feel like a stone that's just dragging. But I want you to see what makes us alive and strong. Go to verse six in 1 Peter 2. For it stands in scripture. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone. I wanna underline that word cornerstone because this cornerstone that Peter is referencing is Jesus Christ. So if the church is this beautiful spiritual house made up of individual living stones being built up, we have one thing that secures and makes us alive. That is the cornerstone. That is Jesus Christ. And it's through belief in him that we are transformed from dead and movable to to alive and immovable. It's only through faith in him. That is the only way that we become steadfast, that we truly become alive. And here this church, I know know because I do it, we spend hours and money to find all kinds of ways to feel alive and to feel secure. Here this church, there is one way, it is through Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, end of story, game over, it's one. That is the way. But here's the good news today. You hear that a lot from me and Luke. But today we're gonna hear these stories of faith in the cornerstone, in him, through other voices, through younger, some our age, and it's gonna be a beautiful thing. And so I, I, I want encourage you to sit back and really ask God to speak to you as we, as we reflect on how do we walk in faith in the cornerstone. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, thank you for thank you for this time together to be able to gather and lift your name high and reflect on who you are and how we can walk in faith in light of who you are. Bless Caroline and Sam and Jamie as they speak today. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Welcome, welcome Caroline.
2: This is on? Okay, it's on. Um, So I am so excited to share with you today. This has been something that the Lord has been laying on my heart, not just today and these past few weeks that I've been going through this, but really just these past few years now have been marked by the Lord teaching me this over and over again. So I'm super excited to share. Um, the idea that i hope and i pray that you see today is that the christian faith a true christian faith is a faith that is marked by sacrifice it is a faith that is worth laying aside everything that this world deems important and choosing to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of christ a life that isn't rewarded here on earth or much less even accepted so with that being said let's dive into philippians 1 starting in verse 19. christ is our life our life should be consumed by who christ is and what he's done for us in verse 21 paul explicitly states christ is his life all throughout his writing in this chapter in this passage in this book we see that for Paul, it's all about Christ. In verse 13, he says his imprisonment is for Christ. In verse 16, he says that his purpose in life is to defend the gospel of Christ. In verse 18, he says that his joy is found only in the proclamation of Christ. For Paul, Christ is his life. It was all he wanted then we look at philippians 3 and paul tells us that he had everything that the world could have wanted and starting in verse 4 he says that if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh i have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of israel of the tribe of benjamin as to the law of pharisee as to zeal a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law blameless Paul didn't consider his life on earth worthless and consider Christ worthy of death because his life on earth was horrible. No, Paul had every reason to boast. He had deep Jewish heritage. He was at the top of the Jewish hierarchy. He was a Pharisee and he had more biblical knowledge than anyone else. Paul was zealously religious and morally upright. Yet, Paul ends this list of his accolades with a clear declaration of how he views all of it in verse 7. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. The world was nothing to him there's nothing that the world could offer him that would surpass the worth of knowing Christ. And Paul knew that. Christ was his life, but Christ was also worth his life. So now we must ask ourselves, is Christ our life? Is he what my life, what your life revolves around? Is he truly worth sacrificing everything that this world deems important? The answer of every Bible-believing Christian should and probably will be yes, but our lives very rarely reflect this posture. If our lives don't look like we've forsaken the things of this world to make much of Christ with our life, then we have missed the point of our faith. The first time that I truly began to see this for myself was this past summer when I was in Nepal. And don't get me wrong, before this, I would have told you without hesitation that Jesus was worth it all. But living in Bent, Louisiana in the United States of America makes it really easy to claim faith, a sacrificial faith even, and not truly mean it. We're not faced with much that makes us choose between comfort or Christ. But after a full day of hiking 17 miles up the side of a mountain in the pouring rain in the middle of nowhere, um, I had to decide. And I, sat there and everything that I had was wet. I was tired. I was hurting. And to top it all off, we were sleeping on these like tiny wooden kitchen benches. It was just not ideal. And so I sat there with my head down on a table and cried. I felt stuck. I was scared. I was panicked. I was overwhelmed at the fact that I still had over a month of days like these left. And I couldn't even text my parents that I was safe for the night. and. I was just all out of control in my emotions, Um, but as I sat there throwing myself this little pity party, I remember just how foolish I was. Earlier in the day, we had been able we had met this woman outside of her home and had been able to share the gospel with her. And without hesitation, she had believed. She said, "I want this Jesus to be my savior." He is the true God. And sitting there with her, we had been able to rejoice in her journey from death to life. We'd been able to rejoice that we had a new sister. But now as I sat there focused on my suffering, I forgot the whole reason I was even there. I forgot to focus on the power of the gospel. I was more concerned with my comfort while proclaiming the gospel than the actual gospel itself at work. I had made an idol of comfort and I had twisted the way that I viewed things. So sitting there, I took my journal and in the back several pages, I just started making a list. And every day for the next month, anytime that I long for the things of home, the comforts of home, the safety of home, I just wrote, your glory is greater than blank. So the back of my journal is filled with the steadfast truth, line after line, page after page, that his glory is greater than everything. His glory is greater than a clean bed, a warm shower, Sundays at Covenant Church, hugs from Hattie and Liam. His glory is greater than all of it. His glory is worth losing all of it for a summer or for a lifetime. There are good things that this world takes and makes the greatest thing. Don't fall into that trap. You'll forget what really matters. You'll forget the gospel. So write it out if you need to, over and over and over again, page after page, line after line, line after line. what are those things for you? What are those things that you hold as greater than Jesus? What are those things that you tend to put above Jesus? Is it your social status, your job, your family, your house? How is the Lord calling you to lay those things aside right now? Friends, turn from the idol of comfort. Lay aside the easy gospel and live obedient to the sacrifices the Lord calls us to. Run to Christ, make Him your life. Leave it all behind, because He is really worth it all. Next up is Sam. <laughs>
3: Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Samuel Chappelle, right? Uh, I am an intern here at Covenant, and when I was asked to share about eight minutes, I'm sorry, exactly eight minutes, uh, about how I've grown in my faith, I looked back over my life and looked at how God has shaped me through his word, through just his work in my life, but also through the hardships that he's really brought me through in my life, right? And so, this morning we're gonna be looking at 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, verse seven. But before we get there, uh, give you a little bit of background about me and why this verse hits home so hard for me. Um, When I was a kid, this is a safe place, right? When I was a kid, I watched a lot of Blue's Clues, right? Just full disclosure. Um, I also watched a lot of Law & Order SVU, you know, like a kid. And uh, so those two, the common theme between those two is I loved this whole process, this concept that you saw in both shows of putting together a case based on evidence, right? This, this idea of the truth, this idea of solid concrete foundation um, for both Blue and Steve, as well as law and order, right? And so naturally, again, whenever I came to faith uh, later in high school, I just, I dove headfirst, just fully deep into the wealth of evidence, the overwhelming evidence for God's word, for the Christian faith, the fact that this God of scripture is truly God, that he is the one true God, that scripture is reliable, that you can believe it, you can trust it, you can cling to it, you can base your life upon it, right? But
0: on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, um, I needed to do trouble. Um, they helped me maintain my good girl status that people had given me. So what is the problem? Um, I made my faith about task. Um, so in my mind, I had to do things for God and never mess up, or it meant I had lost my faith. I never learned to just sit with God. Um, I never let his love just wash over me. Um, So did anyone um, ever look at me and say, Jamie, you are getting it wrong. God just wants you to sit at his feet. He just wants you to seek him and to know him. And you don't have to earn his love. No. No. No one ever told me that because everything that I was doing was praised in our Christian culture. Faith plus all of these things um, was seen as a good thing. And so what changed? I moved to Uganda. (laughs) That's what changed. I realized that all the things that we were adding to our faith in the Bible belt South um, were all just cultural. If my salvation depended on the things that my Bible Belt childhood had taught me, then most Ugandans had no chance of being saved because the things I had added to requirements of my faith were not even possible in a developing country. And so don't get me wrong, uh, we do not uh, hold you know, all of the, the bad things being added to our faith or the good things. Um, it is not just us. Um, I was passing all kinds of judgment on Ugandans because it was so easy for me to look at their culture and pick out the things that they were adding to their faith. Uh, I wanted to look at them and be like, why? You were missing the point. You were missing Jesus. You are missing it all. So let me give you some examples. Um, Our very first New Year's Eve in Uganda, um, we walked to a nearby tent for church. We thought it was so cool that they had this tradition of beginning the new year at church in prayer. And so we get there and um, it was like this great thing, right? Um, But then my heart started breaking because we realized that the people were paying for prayer you had to walk down in front of everyone and you had to give your money in such a way that everyone saw just how much you were giving and then the pastor would pray for you based on how much you gave and if you didn't give enough he would not pray with you personally because you had not earned his prayer so the people were giving beyond what they had in the hope of receiving a prayer of blessing for the next year they made it faith plus sacrificial giving. And they believed that the pastor was the one who held the power to bless them. And so the next year, we were living in a more rural part of Uganda, surrounded by people who lived in mud huts. They had 10 roofs and 10 doors. And at midnight on New Year's Eve, we started hearing this loud banging noise. It was coming from every direction. I remember Matt and I, I looking at each other, it was like, what is happening? and it just kept getting louder and louder. We felt like it was never gonna stop, and so we went to the Ugandans that were living with us, and we were like, what is happening, guys? And they said, well, the people believed that they could ward off the evil spirits for the coming year if they scared them away at midnight. And so most of the people that were banging on these tin roofs and these tin doors professed to be followers of Jesus. But they practiced these cultural traditions, I guess, as some sort of like added insurance. You know, I'm not really sure. Um, So for many, it was faith plus animism or faith plus the witch doctor. And in this culture, it was so easy for me as an outsider to look at them and be like, no, this is not what God has for you. This is not what it means to have faith in God. But my point is this. For grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of work, so that no one can boast. If you are living a faith plus lifestyle, can I encourage you to stop? Can I tell you to quit striving? Can I remind you that God loves you because you are His? He doesn't love you because you do all the right things and work yourself to death for the kingdom. He loves you because you are his beloved son or daughter. Maybe your next step needs to be to plan a time to just sit at the father's feet and let his love wash over you. You have been saved, cleansed and freed because of grace. It was nothing that you got right. It was nothing you earned. You have to put your faith in God and that's it. You are forgiven and free because of the work of Jesus on the cross and out of God's abundant love for you. Grace is a free gift. As a doer and one who thrives with things to accomplish, this is so hard for me. I want to do enough. I want to be enough. I want to earn. And God keeps saying, stop, just sit with me. Don't read your Bible because someone told you to. Read your Bible because you wanna learn more about me. I'm your father, read your Bible to hear my heart for you. And God's heart is for me to want to read my Bible, to want to pray, to want to avoid filling my mind and my heart with trash to want to remain sexually pure? He doesn't want me to do those things because someone at church told me I needed to in order to win my good Christian badge. He wants me to do those things out of my abundant love for him. So what is it that you're doing to try to earn God's love? Um, What are you doing that makes you boast in your works instead of boasting in your Father? Vernon McGee says, salvation is a gift that eliminates boasting. It is all of God and not of us. It's God's gifts. So what are you adding to your faith? What have you believed is tied to your salvation that God is telling you, no, stop doing that. Just receive my gift. So will you commit to sit with your father this week and just ask him to remind you of who you are in his eyes? Ask him to remind you what he wants from you. God has already done all the work. You don't have to. Just sit with him and give. let him shower you with his love. Let's pray. Father, I ask that for everyone in this room that they can take just a moment this week to just sit at your feet and remember who you have made them to be that you will help them to stop striving and know that they are loved and forgiven and free just because you love them and nothing else. Father, thank you for your love for us and help us not to forget that this week. In your son's name we pray, amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Man, give these guys a hand for doing this today, man. There was so much to chew on in everybody's uh, talk. And I was so encouraged and blessed to just see, cause I know each of them, to see their personal gifting and talents and experience and passions come out in their talk. And it reminds me of Peter's words here about these living stones. And I think there's this echo in everybody's talk today. Um, you cannot make yourself a living stone. And gosh, we want to, don't we? All the books, podcasts. But let's see here, because Peter makes it very clear how we, how, we, how we walk into this. Go to verse four in your Bible in First Peter 2. There is one way. He says it very first thing. As you come to him. As you come to him. Friends, that's the message today. That's it. But we're not just coming. This is, this was so good. We're not just coming. You ever have that boss that never leaves his office? They are way too good for all like the workers down there and they're just so smart and important They can never be bothered at all. It's, that's not our God friends, hear this. As you come to him, a living stone, he's the living stone. Like we come to him like a child being nursed. We need this nourishment to be made alive and to be made steadfast. But hear this, rejected by people. Friends, I don't, know, I don't know everybody's story here today. I know my story, my wife's story and some of your stories, but we all have a story today. And it's a story I'm sure filled with pain, with failure, with sin, with rejection, all, all these things. But here, here is the, the, the scandalous nature of the gospel is that our God understands and knows. He knows what it's like to have a friend betray him. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to, to mourn the loss of a loved one. Jesus knows. And this is the beauty of communion, friends. That's why he commands us to take and remember the sacrifice that he made because he's not some ethereal out there God. He was a flesh and blood God because we had flesh and blood problems that separated us from his goodness. So Jesus came church and he was rejected and the ultimate rejection was taking your sins and my sins and our sins and paying for them on the cross. So here is the challenge today. Come, come to him. And if you don't know what that looks like for you, here's my encouragement. We have a prayer team in the back. We'll have pastors in the back. If you need encouragement or counsel on prayer on what is your next step to come to him, today's the day. Like, after you hear these great stories of faith, why would you wait to live out this beautiful purpose of being a living stone? of building a spiritual household. I've got to read this verse and I'm done. In verse 10 in 1 Peter 2. This is the beauty of the household. Peter says, once you were not a people. Here's the deal friends, at one time we were strangers in this room. We didn't have things in common, we didn't hang out, we didn't see each other. We might even like each other if you knew me, but something happened. God saves us and now you are God's people. We're a people, we're a team, we're a family. We got a purpose, we got a mission, we got a goal, we got a kingdom, we are the people of God and we can't come to him by ourselves. We need to lock arm in arm in this world and come to him together. So I'm gonna say this, come to Jesus, but I'm gonna assume and guarantee you also need people. You cannot come to Jesus alone. You are given a connection card, there's people in the back. My heart is to help you come to Jesus by connecting you to other people that will help you come to Jesus. That's the step today, friends. This shared meal, this, we dip out of the same juice because we're a shared people that speaks to our need for each other. So today, come to him. Invite the band up. Let me pray for us and we'll take communion. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Uh, Thank you for the testimonies of brothers and sisters. Thank you for the truth of your gospel that unites us, that makes us alive, that makes us secure, that sends us out, that gives us hope, that shows us mercy Thank you for the good news of the gospel, Father. Help men and women and teenagers and children respond to your gospel today, Father. Whatever that step may be, help us to come to you, our only hope, our living stone. Jesus, you're good to us. I love you. I pray all this in your name. Amen. When you're ready, come to the table, partake in communion. If you need prayer, there's people in the back. If you wanna pray, I'll be there to pray. Come when you're ready.